and welcome to the Focal Therapy Clinic. My name is Claire Delmar, and in this audio series, I'm going to introduce you to some issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and almost never talked about. Earlier this year, prostate cancer was acknowledged as the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK. And with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. In the seventh of our series, I'm speaking with Paul Sayer, founder of the charity Prost8, which describes itself as a new force in the fight against prostate cancer. Diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2018, Paul rejected his consultant's advice to undergo invasive treatments and opted for focal therapy. And he's now on a mission to ensure that all men have this treatment option. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Claire. It's a pleasure. Thanks for being here. Can you just talk really quickly about, um, you've got a very interesting spelling of prostate. So I, you know, um, I, I think it'd be interesting just to start off with why it's spelled the way it's spelled. It's actually prost8, which is P-R-O-S-T and the number eight. So it's a slight twist on the actual true prostate word. Basically, the eight stands for the one in eight men who will actually be diagnosed with prostate cancer in their lifetime, which is quite a staggering right. figure in itself. Yes, it is indeed. And we'll, I guess, those will get onto that in a, in a, in a few minutes. But can you tell us a bit about your personal experience with prostate cancer? I guess the story starts fully back in about mid-2015. Um, a very good friend of mine, Steve, had gone through a very nasty prostate cancer journey himself in his early 50s, mm -hmm. um, which he almost didn't survive. And as a result, he kind of made it his personal crusade to make sure other men got themselves checked. And okay. that included me. Mm -hmm. um, but really, I had no obvious symptoms whatsoever. So like most men, I just carried on and basically ignored him. Anyway, one, I guess, fateful Saturday morning, late in 2015, I had an unrelated doctor's appointment. And having seen Steve the previous evening, it was on my mind. So I asked the doctor if I should get my prostate checked. Okay. Um, he asked the usual questions. I said that I had no symptoms. But to his credit, he said that as I had just turned 60 at that point, it might be a good time to have a look. So um, he did the rectal examination found some enlargements and a bit of hardness, but said it was probably just age-related. And you had no um, symptoms at all? No symptoms at all. No, mm -hmm. no, nothing to indicate it whatsoever. He said that they would keep an eye on me over the next couple of years. But of course, as you know, this never happens. And I didn't visit the doctor again until very early in 2018, which is two and a half years later. Okay. Again, for an unrelated issue. It was a different doctor. But while I was there, I thought I'd mention to her that I was meant to have my prostate checked along the way. And oddly, she seemed just so resistant to wanting to take it any further. It was a case of, if you have no symptoms, don't worry, which is quite common, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Uh, in fact, she was kind of so unnecessarily anti that it made me take exception, um, especially knowing that I did have some enlargement. Mm -hmm. So I guess I made a bit of a fuss, and eventually she reluctantly agreed to arrange me to see another doctor in the same practice for a rectal check a few days later, and arranged a PSA test. Okay. PSA test reading came back at about 3.8, so it was certainly not dramatic, quite low. Mm -hmm. But then I was seen and examined by another doctor, and he immediately said my prostate was hard and grainy, so he wanted to refer me for further investigation, which is the first sort of worrying sign. Indeed. So I zoomed off to the hospital, and uh, following a series of scans and a biopsy, um, I was told that I had quite a sizable tumour on one side and some lesser spots on the other. Wow. Uh, yep, that sort of set the, the worry um, even further. Of course. It, the usual happened. I was referred off to the urology department at the local hospital to see the specialists and to decide upon a treatment pathway. Fortunately, I did some homework ahead of that and okay. made myself aware of all the possible options. 
sort of both mainstream and those that were in trial at that time. As you probably know, even now, most resources just point to either radiotherapy or surgery mm-hmm. to remove the prostate completely. There's not a lot out there on focal therapy. Um, or maybe you get offered hormones and watch and wait. Mm-hmm. But I'd also found some information on the newer focal therapy treatments, such mm-hmm. as and cryotherapy. So it doesn't need saying that I certainly wasn't keen on the possible side effects of radiotherapy or surgery, mm-hmm. being a very high chance of both incontinence and erectile dysfunction. When I got to see the surgical consultants, I saw both the radiotherapist and the surgeon within about 20 minutes of each other. I asked them about HIFU among some of the other options that were available. Mm-hmm. But remarkably, between them, they said that HIFU was not suited to my kind of prostate cancer, that it was highly experimental, and that it was only available as part of trials for advanced cancer. I knew differently to that, but they were saying I needed more traditional treatments and quickly, basically. And did you get a sense um, that it was considered risky or, or simply that it wasn't available? It was, it was really a lack of knowledge. You could almost read between the lines when you were talking right. to them. They didn't really have the knowledge, so they were hiding behind their own um, specialisations yeah, to cover yeah. that lack of knowledge. Okay. So from my research, I knew that I could have different options, but when I spoke to them, they were actually almost annoyed that I dared to question them, and one of them even got almost angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that I did actually phone back into the hospital later to make a complaint that I was being sold their choices rather than being told my choices. And this is NHS, uh, I mean, when... This uh, is NHS, yeah. yeah, my local hospital neurology uh-huh, department. Of course. How did you find um, the availability of, of HIFU? I had two options at that point. They wanted to rush me into surgery in seven to 10 days or put me on radiotherapy. So I opted for the radiotherapy simply to buy time because I, I'd got this HIFU thing in my head and wanted to explore it. The radiotherapy I chose purely because it involved six months of hormones ahead of the actual treatment. So yeah. that gave me more than the seven to 10 days they were quoting for surgery. So in those following weeks, I researched, wrote, phoned, badgered every consultant I could find in the UK working on alternatives. Wow. And cutting a very long story short, I eventually found Professor Hashim Ahmed mm-hmm. at Imperial College Hospital in London mm-hmm. and saw that he was working at the forefront of focal therapy Indeed. and offering it as an NHS treatment at that point. So I wrote to his secretary. She advised me to get a referral to the prof from my GP, which again, I managed, but with resistance. And as a result, I first saw the prof in March of 2018. To be told, I was actually an ideal candidate for IFU, and he would readily accept me as an NHS patient. Wow. Um, I then moved on to have some updated scans at Imperial College. Uh, My treatment took place in the July of that year. It's day-stay procedure. I was in theatre under a general anaesthetic for a couple of hours, and that evening went home with a catheter fitted, basically. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, one week later, I returned for the removal of the catheter, a quick checkup, and they said all appeared well, so basically go and get on with my life. That so was you had quite an experience, and you obviously built up quite a foundation of knowledge, and is, is, how did this lead to the founding of Prostate? I previously worked in the charity sector, organising major events and consulting for charities, uh, everything from a major HIV charity through to Help for Heroes, okay. for more than 15 years. Ironically, I'd taken a break at that time for a couple of years to help my son in his technology business. Having come through the cancer, I kind of felt the time was right to get back to what I knew. So the prostate cancer was the ideal challenge. I'd got a bit of knowledge, so the two came together. I explained my plans to Professor Ahmed and was shocked to find out that almost 12,000 men every year 
with a low-level treatable prostate cancer like mine were being given the same invasive treatments as those with advanced cancer. So that, that was the driver. Absolutely. Um, yeah, all those men were suffering life-changing side effects. It just, it just wasn't necessary. So that, that's what drove me to go further. Well, that um, certainly sounds like um, one of the most significant things, but has there been another very significant thing you've discovered about men receiving prostate cancer treatment in the UK? Yes, that basically the same journey I had really, that they've gone through the procedure of visiting their urology department, but being offered nothing more than the tools that the hospital has in its um, toolbox, basically, which is usually watch and wait with a few hormones, uh, radiotherapy for five weeks, five days a week, or surgery to remove the prostate. I started looking around to see where men could get treatment for focal therapy if um, they did find out about it mm-hmm. and I was even more shocked to find that there were literally only a couple of NHS hospitals with focal therapy equipment in the entire UK and yeah. they're only in London and the southeast mm-hmm. there's fortunately private facilities such as yours um, but that's obviously not accessible to everyone mm. and I know that some hospitals rented in equipment for a few days a year but for the average man with prostate cancer they'd never even be told that they had that less impactful option so well yeah quite i mean it you know there's kind of two sides to it i mean you've you've uh, well articulated the the limited resource in providing it but equally um i mean you must have some thoughts since you've set up prostate and talked to men and that had you know experienced what you'd experienced that they don't really have the knowledge or the awareness to even ask the right questions they don't know that's the trouble i guess our mission statement if i was to say it is um, just to help men to live the best lives possible after prostate cancer and that means they need to know the best treatment options that are available to them and what's so, been the re- reception to that i mean do, and, and on the on the sort of um you know prospective patient side do you feel that men react in 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 wonder in horror in you know gratitude for for the awareness you're raising how, how do they it, respond to the fact that there's something else that they haven't been told well, most of them, are, uh, like myself, they're quite shocked that they were never told this at the point of diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had quite a bit of reasonable national press coverage in the last year, sort of in the Times and Mail on Sunday and such. Indeed, like. yes. And men have picked up from that, my story, if you like, and, and mm-hmm. contacted the charity to say, how do I get involved in this? Well, at the moment, locally, there is no option. So very luckily, Imperial College... London have taken quite a number of men that we've managed to redirect away from their local facilities um, to be given high food treatment there. I know mm-hmm. a couple have also gone the, the private route. So, um, you know, we're, we're having an impact along the way to get people better lifestyles. And, and why do you think that focal therapy doesn't get the attention it deserves? That's a good question. I think, I think the NHS has invested heavily in recent years in the traditional methods, shall we call it. So, They've upgraded radiotherapy suites dramatically at great cost. They've um, installed Da Vinci robots to carry out prostatectomies. That's you know quite a few million pounds a piece and training mm-hmm. that goes with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that they are too keen at the moment to get the best value out of those rather than looking at the alternatives out there, especially when you think that for focal therapy, it's a fraction of the cost to install the equipment. One day stay, so there's no hospital stay involved. Yeah. The recovery times are phenomenally quick yep. and the ongoing care is almost nil. And you yeah. certainly can't say that about radiotherapy or surgery. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And then not to mention that, um, you know, with, with the minimal or zero side effects, you know, you don't have the follow on or associated, you know, problems no. that you might have that would, you know, require someone to seek further treatment. I, I, yeah, the economics of it, I, I totally agree, you know, seem to really 
be one attraction, certainly for a hospital, not necessarily from the patient's point of view. But do you think that's really the main reason? Or do you, do you feel that is anything else you've learned in, in your work in the last uh, two years? It's a lack of knowledge right the way through from GPs to urologists, basically, yeah. that some have a vague uh, recognition on the, on the sort of periphery that there is another option out there. Yeah. They've heard a bit about HIFO. Some will have done the usual thing, gone to the internet, found out that um, the information is probably eight to 10 years out of date and it's talking about it being a trial and such like, but they take that on board and that's their knowledge base. So as a charity, our job is basically to get that knowledge out there from GP through to neurology department. But our aim is to get the men on the street mm -hmm. to know what their choices are. So when they rock up at their GP or at the urology department, mm -hmm. they can ask, they can say, no, I know there are other options. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the problem. You know, men turn up and they don't have a clue other than what they're told and they trust what they're told. Yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting point. I mean, are you, do you, are you getting any sense that, that you're breaking through? We've had an, an incredible number of calls during the um, COVID period from yeah. men who have just been dropped out of the NHS, basically, and can't get anywhere. Yes, yes. But the ones that are coming to us, when we're pushing them back towards their urologists and sometimes their GPs we are now seeing that they're prepared to give them referrals on to as it has to be Imperial College or someone like yourself at the moment yeah but they are getting the referrals now whereas in the early days going back to a year or so ago the resistance was incredible from the medical profession to so do you think that um, you know just kind of pulling the last two strands together that as the NHS moves into a post-COVID recovery phase and, and has to address quite significant backlog of patients. Do you think that focal therapy might have a new place in, in treatment oh, for prostate cancer? I think it's crucial on many fronts. I mean, not just the fact that it gives men a lifestyle following their treatment, mm -hmm. but in terms of cost for the NHS, it's mm -hmm. got to be a better option. Do you think that that's resonating, you know, with the population and, and with the NHS? Or do you think that the driver is really the patients, you know, um, being more informed and, and having the confidence to, to ask more for alternative treatments? I think it's going to be um, a combination of many things. I mean, one of the things we're working on is um, to commence lobbying. So we've managed to get the ear of a few MPs who are very um, amenable to the idea. Um, we're working with Imperial College and other um, departments like theirs to start lobbying in, within the NHS and, and where possible. And I suppose just make a big nuisance of ourselves until someone listens. And how about follow-up? I mean, do, do you find that people who've had focal therapy have actually... I mean, in addition to being relieved that they're, you know, disease-free with no side effects, do you think that, um, you know, they've also placed lots of gratitude in, in you and your campaign and, and, you know, may really help become advocates themselves? They do. Yes, we've had, we've had quite a bit of that, I must admit. Some people just disappear off the radar and get on with their lives because they've got what they wanted. We have a few who are becoming almost ambassadors for us now who are pushing that message and are going back into the NHS to let them know what their outcome was compared to the one they were being offered. So, so Paul, how do people then find prostate? What's the best way to engage? I mean, is it online? Is it on social media? Maybe you could just run it's, through. Yes, it's on social media, mostly as prostate, P-R-O-S-T-8 again. Mm -hmm. um, we have the website, which is prostate.org.uk, mm -hmm. or we have our telephone nine, which is 0203 858 and if somebody listening to this then decides to get in touch with you, what can they expect on first um, engagement with either you or one of your team? Uh, the first thing we do is uh, make sure they're aware of the choices they have. We provide them with the information they need to return to their urology department or GP to get referred to the right treatments they're looking for. 
-hmm. um, and we help them through that by keeping them informed of their rights within the NHS and wider um, as to how they can insist almost on these referrals. And by rights, are you referring to like Montgomery ruling, for example? Yes, that's part of what we refer them to. It's that and uh, links to the NHS's own pages about uh, your rights of a referral, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. So mm -hmm. yeah, we, we give them quite a comprehensive package of information. I mean, that's really good to know. And I, you know, um, I, it takes people like you to, you know, really build up that head of steam. And, and, you know, really it's about, I mean, there's a lot of information out there, as I'm sure you would agree. You know, sometimes there's not much too much. And, you know, when you are in a situation where you've just been diagnosed with prostate cancer, you're not always in the best place to absorb all that information, as I'm sure Certainly you agree. Yeah. You know, having the, the, the ability and the capacity to counsel men who are in that sort of state of mind and, and build that confidence, I think, is really crucial in this. It is. But one of the most important parts of the campaign we've got coming up, we've actually got a campaign starting later this year, which is um, Prostate Cancer Know Your Choices. Mm -hmm. And that will be the, the foundation of how we get the message out there. Mm -hmm. But behind that is a huge campaign to raise some significant funds to start buying, donating and deploying vocal therapy equipment into strategic NHS hospitals, basically. So the access is widened and we can get more and more men through. We've got mm -hmm. to reduce that 12,000 a year figure. Right. OK, Paul, thank you so much for your insights. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and, and best of luck with Prostate and the campaigns that you're that you're you're developing. Thank you very much. A link to Prostate and its social media content is available in the program notes to this interview on our website, www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk, where you can access additional interviews with patients and clinicians about their experiences with prostate cancer. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time.